you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free and we'd love to have you. All right, welcome everybody. Um, welcome. Um, I have to say that this week uh, um, is uh, uh, it's you know continues to be difficult. Um, to, it's a difficult time. It's difficult to teach Torah in this time. It's difficult to know what to teach um, anywhere from you know the the feeling that you know that nothing, nothing really matters. There's no, there's no point in teaching anything. Um, two, on the other hand, way over on the other end of the spectrum is a, a sense that uh, Torah is not just, you know, the, our people's um, lifeblood, but also um, Torah can help us and Torah can help us think through and work through and Torah speaks directly to this moment. Um, and that is also a, a difficult position to hold. That, that is, there is, um, there is Torah for this moment. There, there, there definitely is. And it, it so happens that this week's Parsha, I, I should just say this, um, so I assume rabbis will be talking about this all over the country this Shabbat, but it so happens that this week's Parsha, Parsha Lech Lecha, is the beginning of the story of Abraham. Not only, I mean, there are so many things in this this week's Parsha that um, th that feel relevant to this um, moment in our people's history. Um, there's the first war really described in, in the Torah. So this is this is the first partial where you really start to think about war. We've certainly seen violence before, you know, but we but but war, a full, a full-scale war. And um, you know, even more chilling an echo is that we have the first captive of war described in this parsha. In fact, um, we have two captives um, named. The, the idea of, of, of seizing captives uh, comes up twice in this week's Parsha. One, uh, uh, a, a kind of kidnapping, an abduction of Sarah when Abraham and Sarah are in Egypt. 
So that's that's the that's the first captive. And then um, in, during the war, we are told, actually Abraham is told by one of the survivors of a, of a battle comes to him and says that his nephew, um, Lot, has been taken um, um, captive. That Abraham heard that his, his nephew, his kinsman, his brother had been taken captive. So I, I, <laughs> I, um, at this moment when we have, you know, 200 of our people held um, captive and when uh, a war is beginning to rage, I thought, as I'm, as I'm sure, as I, I'm sure many, uh, many who look in the Torah this week, I thought, I thought, okay, this is what we will study. We must study. This is the topic of the day. Um, but I have to say, I, I went over it and I, I, I don't know why I'm processing with you in real time, but I just like, you've heard me talk about this a little bit in the, in, in the past weeks. And I, and I feel this, amb this ambivalence because on the one hand, I, I feel desperately that we need Torah and yes, that we need Torah for this moment, but I also hesitate to just sort of talk about the, the stories in the Torah as if they're, you know, and just sort of spin them around, you know, from our armchairs and um, come up with theories and ideas about things that are so um, raw and so real and, and happening right this moment. So I am not, I want to just name that and I want to point you to some Torah, um, actually. Um, uh, I want to name that there are captives in this, uh, week's Torah portion. And let me give you um, some Torah that I really do think is is worth um, worth listening to and looking at. Um, both of these pieces, one's a podcast and one is a, um, a written piece. Both of these are from Rabbi Ethan Tucker, who is the Rosh Yeshiva at Hadar, one of the Rosh Yeshiva at Hadar, where I, I now work, and um, is just a, a really... Um, one of the most important uh, legal thinkers in in the Jewish world today, and is therefore someone who is um, more capable, I think, of a really working through the issues. And there are serious issues, and we will continue to kind of process them as a people. There's serious um, discussion in our tradition of what it means to um, to, re to to return captives, to redeem captives, to to deal with the crisis of hostages, which our people unfortunately have dealt with for, well, going all the way back as, as, as this week's Parsha um, makes clear. So let me just give you some of those resources and I just, I'm naming it as context and then we will move into our topic for today. But here is a podcast that I think is very worth listening to, very um, valuable overview of the of of what I said, the discussion of Pidyon Shvuim, the, the the redemption of captives um, in our tradition, which does go all the way back to this um, this week's parsha, but then continues through Talmudic discussion and um, legal responsa on through the the Middle Ages and and unfortunately on through to the present day. So that's one thing um, to um, that I wanted to sh to to share. And then the other thing is same topic, same thinker, but written out this piece here deals with 
um, the Parsha in particular and the two stories I mentioned, Sarah's being um, uh, kidnapped and um, and and Lot being taken captive um, and the different ways that Abraham responds to that. And this is again, Rabbi Ethan Tucker, and I think an interesting discussion of that. So um, all of that I feel needs to be said, named so that we, and we head into this Shabbat, many of you I'm sure will hear your rabbis speak this weekend about these verses um, in chapter 14 of Lot's being taken captive. So um, that's, that's important Torah for the week, but not the Torah we are going to study together um, for all the reasons I mentioned, because I'm not a, I'm not a, a sophisticated legal thinker. And I also just feel too, per, too personally um, raw to just talk about the, the story of captivity when, um, you know, you know. Okay, so um, with that said, um, uh, let me say one other thing by way of announcement, uh, which is that uh, we are, if you are in at Los Angeles and uh, free this evening, um, Hadar is, is expanding into Los Angeles and is going to be doing um, a kind of opening event tonight it was originally going to be a much more celebratory kind of thing, but but we're still holding the space, and mostly now it'll just be some learning and some music and a chance to gather together, which I I need, and I think a lot of us need right now. So if you're in the LA area, you're welcome to come to this event, um, where uh, the 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 I'll, I'll be there, but the the real uh, guest of honor is Joey Weisenberg, who is just a, a really a really um, like a really deep and um and talented uh musician um and also also works for for us at Hadar okay all right let's say a blessing and then we'll get into our learning for today um which is don't it's you know it, it is it is um related this is all context everything we've said so far is the context of uh, of our parsha, but we're gonna we're gonna take a specific um, a specific dive into um, some of the well. Let's let's get into it in a second. We'll say a blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech Haolam Asher Kitshanu BeMitzvotav Tzivanu LaAsok BeDivrei Torah. Okay, so where are we starting today? Um, if not directly in the midst of battle and um, and war and captivity. Um, we are going to start today, uh, well, we're going to pick up actually, and I promised I would be doing this, um, but we're going to pick up on a theme that I wrote about this week. Um, I, I suggested that I'm, uh, that I'm because I'm writing weekly Divrei Torah for Hadar, and you're, um, you're invited to sign up for those, but every week there's an essay, and this class, that comes out on Tuesday, this class is on Thursday, and I presume that many times, I will never do the same thing over again, but I presume that many times in the class, I'll be kind of picking up on, on, on some of the themes that, um, that I've been thinking about uh, as I put together this weekly essay, and I'm going to do that today. So this is the essay, and I, I'm going to take you um, through quickly some of the, 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 the key uh, pieces of Torah in that essay, uh, in particular, a very, very important piece of commentary from Nachmanides, the Ramban, and then 
and we're going to take a look at a, a, a an important and classic debate, philosophical debate between, and this gets complicated, the Ramban and the Rambam. <laughs> that sounds almost the same. One is M M M Moshe ben Maimon, famously Maimonides, the Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon. And one is um, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, um, Nachmanides in the Latinate. Um, but the way that we, so again, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, the, the Nun and the Mem sound the same. So the way that we distinguish is, um, is you hit the Rambam first syllable and the Ramban second syllable. Okay, so just some, <laughs> some Jewish literacy, you know, for, for you. The Rambam and the Ramban. Okay, so I hope we'll, we'll try to, <laughs> hopefully this won't get too confusing. Maimonides, the Rambam, comes first. And the Ramban is a freak, is a, a great admirer of Maimonides. In fact, Maimonides is a pretty controversial figure for all kinds of reasons, some of which we'll deal with today, his philosophical positions. Nachmanides um, is a great admirer of the, of the Rambam, um, Maimonides, but, um, but also of a frequent um, uh, 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 sparring partner. Right, he's not afraid to um, challenge Maimonides, and he does so uh, today. So we're going to take a look at that as well, and we're going to get into some really big questions, some really some of the biggest philosophical questions, um, implicating especially um, the idea of free will. Okay, um, um, but all in the context of of this week's parsha. So let's let's begin, um, and I'm going to give you a source sheet. For uh for the material that we're going to look at today, um and and I I want to as I said start just quickly by reviewing some of the um key observations that uh, I tried to make in this essay, most of which dealt with the first chapter in um, Abraham's um story, and and. Um, if you read that first chapter, and I kind of made tried to make the case carefully, but I'll do it right now very, um, very e explicitly. If you read that chapter, you start to notice that all of the th God tells Abraham, Lech lecha, go, and then go Abraham goes. And it seems like everything he does from that point out reads a little familiar because it's stuff that we will see many years <clears throat> later, the descendants of Abraham um, doing as well. What do I mean by that? Well, I gave lots of little examples, but here's the best and easiest and biggest example, which is that I said Sarah is taken um, uh, captive, taken uh, kidnapped by Pharaoh, by the Pharaoh. And there were Pharaohs on through, and even in the days of Abraham and Sarah, there were Pharaohs. Pharaoh, Pharaoh takes uh, Sarah captive, apparently for sexual um, reasons, that like she is, she's, described as beautiful and he seizes her. So probably some kind of sexual assault or at least the threat of it in this, um, in this, in the background of this story. But um, Sarah is eventually released. And why is she released? Um, because Hashem et parot negaim gadolim, because the eternal afflicted Pharaoh and his household with mighty plagues, mighty plagues on account of Sarai, the wife of Abram. They don't have their Sarah and Abraham names yet. Uh, okay, so you just read a line like that and come on, 
Pharaoh was afflicted with plagues. What is that? I won't even bother. What does that remind you of? Oh, my goodness. Is it really the case that in the first chapter of Abraham's story, we've already got a, a kind of hearkening, not backward, but forward to the story of the Exodus and the great 10 plagues that will, again, afflict Pharaoh's household? So there seems like there's something going on here. And if you see not just, this is the most prominent example, but if you see 10 examples of this in one chapter, then you start to get the feeling that this chapter is doing something. It is projecting a, a vision of the future, right? right uh, Projecting it right at you from the start of Abraham's story. So what does that mean? And to account, to deal with that, I, um, I, I, I brought... A, a, a piece of commentary, an important piece of commentary, I think one of the most important pieces of Torah commentary um, from Nachmanides, the Ramban, that later thinker, both of them Spaniards, by the way. Um, uh, uh, the Rambam, I believe, is Cordova and the Ramban is Barcelona, but you know, it was, it was the golden age. And the Ramban brings the following piece, which it, it, it's, a, it's a very important piece. It's so important that it becomes a kind of almost popular popular saying. We, and the saying is, Mase avot siman labanim. The actions of the parents are a sign for the, for the children. So here's how he, he describes that. And let's just, we're going to take a pause after this and try to think about what does that mean? The actions of the parents are a sign for the children. So let's just read this piece quickly. Omer um, lechaklal. I will tell you a general principle that you must understand throughout all of the upcoming stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a great concept that our rabbis articulated in brief language. Okay, so this is going to help you apparently for the rest of Genesis. They said, and it's a slightly different phrasing here, everything that happens to the parents is a sign for the children. Now, what does that mean? Well, here's a little bit of, a, of an explanation. So when the Torah goes on and on with the stories of the journeys they took or the wells they dug or the other events of their lives, one might think these are unnecessary details. <laughs> That's remarkable. Just like listen to the Ramban admitting that sometimes we read things in the Torah like, what is this doing here? Why do I have to read about the wells they dug? And in a sense, he's addressing our our literary concerns, like what, what, what's what's up with all these details? But no, 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 everything, everything that the um, the patriarchs and matriarchs are doing, you might think they are unnecessary details which have no purpose, but all of them are meant to teach about the future. For when something happens to a prophet, one of these of the three forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in particular, he should understand from it that something has been decreed upon his offspring. Okay. That's the piece that I that, that I put at the center of this of this essay that I wrote this week and you can read the essay but just before we move further let's pause here. I've been talking for 20 minutes so let's just pause here and and think about what that might mean either in context or just now as a as a as a saying. Maseavot siman labanim. The actions of the Parents are a sign, a sign for the for the children. How do we understand that? Jay, let's start with Jay. Hi, thank you. Um, 
I just have to share my first, which is a very modern interpretation, I think, which is I immediately think about cross-generational trauma. Mm. Um, the idea of that kind of perpetuation. Good, good, good. That's a, that's a, I, I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, it is modern language, but that's precisely why those that that framework is so helpful because we actually have some rational um, language for describing um, the the passing of of uh, of trauma from one generation to another, so that um, we are um, replaying, reliving, re-experiencing the. Experience, the experiences of the past and in particular the trauma of the past okay so that's one way of thinking about it though um jay notes that sounds very modern and modern in 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 contrast to the to the to to the ramban's formulation which is that it's it's a sign and it's been, been decreed it sounds a little more um, mystical or metaphysical the egyptians do deserve it right i mean they they enslaved so can we can we try to extend Matt, Matt's thinking a little bit? Where what is the problem with God saying I'm going to um, exile your people into a land not theirs? They will be afflicted, and then I will punish the people who afflicted them. Anyone um, feel like they can name the the philosophical dilemma that is going to be just vexing the 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 Ramban and, and the Rambam? Noah Pollock. Yeah, it's predestination that. No matter what you do, this will happen, then this will happen, then this will happen, which is just a huge problem because maybe those choices won't be made. And according to Ezekiel, that even though all these things happen to the parents, it shouldn't be held on their children. So even one of the prophets has a problem with this sort of language. Good, good. Okay. Uh that you're taking it even further but just to back up to the beginning of of what you said this is like predestination so the egyptians are destined to do harm and destined to be punished god has planned that's their destiny like what that's not that doesn't seem fair the egyptians should be off the hook because they have to do this. God said so. All right, that's the philosophical problem. God, it, I mean, we have, we can already feel the free will issue coming up. What does it mean that God's already predetermined the future? That's tricky enough. But it seems God has not only predetermined the 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 events but also predetermined the consequences so that the egyptians are destined to oppress us and destined to be punished for it and that's not their fault Th this is their destiny it was decreed upon them what did the what did the ramban say masay avot siman labanim he said it's it's a sign it's going to happen and it's a sign that it's been um that it's been gazaralehim decreed upon them so you can't punish someone for something that they couldn't help but do, okay? That's our primary philosophical problem. And it will take us into a, a, a bit, you know, a, 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 a massive, um, um, a conversation with massive implications for thinking about, um, for thinking about our relationship to, his, to history. This, whether we are in fact locked in the generational cycles, either of trauma or of just sort of patterns in time.
Okay, so let's start to take a little bit of a, a look at that. And we're gonna take two answers. The first is from the Ramban, the later thinker, the Ramban, the one who, the same one who gave us the Maseavot Siman Lambanim, the, uh, uh, the actions of the parents are a sign for the for the children. What will he have to say about this problem? So let's take a look at that first, and then we'll we'll end with Maimonides. Maimonides is really where we're headed here, okay? But let's take a look at Nachmanides first, and he says, um, dum, dum, "Here we are, okay." The correct meaning of the word also. What does he mean by that? Because it says, know well that your offspring shall be strangers and enslaved and oppressed. But also, well, what's this but also? What What do you mean? Like there's something additional as if God is is adding to it a, a, a decree that they will uh, be punished. The, uh, the correct meaning appears to me to be as follows. Even though I have decreed that your children be strangers in a land not their own, and that they shall enslave them and afflict them. I will nevertheless judge the nation that will enslave them um, for what they do to them, and they will be not they will not be exonerated for having done my decree. Okay, that much we've already spoken out. So he's just sort of repeating the problem and he's rooting it in the language of also, as if, yes, you might have thought that they would be off the hook, but no, also I will punish them. Now, the question is why? And the Ramban has got an answer for the Egyptians added on to the evil. They added on to the evil because they threw children into the river. They embittered their lives and they attempted to eradicate their name from memory. Okay, that's his answer. In other words, they were they were destined to enslave them and afflict them, and that they did. They oppressed and in, and and uh, enslaved them, but then they spoke to the midwives and they said, "When you deliver the Hebrew women, look at the birth stool. If it is a boy, kill him, kill him, and then eventually kill all the 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 children." So wait a minute, that wasn't part of the prophecy, and. Um, they made their they, they made their lives bitter, and they were trying to wipe them out. These are the three things that the Ramban says. They threw their children into the river, embittered their lives, and attempted to eradicate their name from memory. And that, says the Ramban, that was not foretold. That was not foretold, and so they will be punished. Does anyone want to just speak that out? What, what is the what's the What's the philosophy there? What's the what is he saying about the way all this works? I saw Emily's hand go up. It seems like it's saying that enslaving, you know, enslaving another people is business as usual. Everybody does that. That will happen. Mm -hmm. But doing that and then trying, well, basically genocide, killing the children or even just the male children, erasing their name from memory, that is above and beyond sort of geopolitical normalcy. Good. Okay, Emily, I appreciate that because you just gave a brutal account, uh, but I think I think you're I think you're spot on. In other words, there's some what Emily adds to this is is some, some sense of like the way things are. Y yeah, like you're there is oppression and slavery and exile and living under harsh regimes that 
exists and I'm telling you that your children will suffer from it, but that much, okay, like it, it's not, it's not, it's not good. I mean, Abraham's not happy to hear it, but it is sort of the status quo. And if a, a culture, a civilization, a people falls into that dynamic, there's a certain inevitability about it. That's the way. But the Egyptians took it further. They took it from oppression and slavery to genocide, where it was about drowning children in the river. Right? Where the 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 the, it was it was about embittering their lives. I should say it was about embittering their lives, and the form of it was so brutal and savage and gruesome that they were they were drowning children in the river. You know, I mean, you know, we know what that's like. You know, it's not just violence; it's like the worst kind of violence. The worst kind of violence, the violence, violence against children for the sake of, of embitterment. Okay. So that's, that's, that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. Okay. Um, let's see here. I have um, 18 minutes and I think it's important. I see a lot of hands up and hopefully we'll have time to do a lot more processing, but I think it's important to take us now to Maimonides, just so we have both voices in this debate. Nachmanides' opinion is that the problem is that they took it too far, that they exceeded the, 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 the parameters of the, of the, of the decree. And, and I guess, presumably, that's why they're being punished, not for the slavery, but for the, for the extra brutality. Now, that's a little... You I, you can already hear how that feels a little funny in the reading of the Torah because it doesn't seem like they have any way out of it. God is saying, I will punish them. So God seems to suggest they will take it too far. And it, like in a way, we're stuck in the same problem. Like, oh, they're going to do that and then I will punish them for that because I didn't say that, but I know it'll happen. It's a little circular, but that's his, that's his position. And I want to now put it um, in dialogue with the earlier position of Maimonides, which is really a really, really important piece here for thinking about um, this, certainly the topic of free will, and specifically in this context, what, 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 how free will operates in the, in the, in the, in the midst of these, uh, embedded in these historical patterns. Okay, so let's take a look. This is um, Maimonides, and I'm just going to introduce him. I won't introduce him. I will let Nachmanides introduce him because it's very, it's lovely when you see it happen. Um, the Ramban is talking and he says what he thinks. And he says, now the rabbi stated a different reason, the harav. And that's like, that's quite an honor if um, the greatest mind of the generation, Nachmanides, is just speaking of the rab, the rabbi, and who he's talking about is the greatest mind of the previous generation, Maimonides, okay? And Maimonides said a different reason in the Book of Knowledge. We're soon gonna look at it, but let's see how, he summar how Nachmanides summarizes it. It had not been decreed on any particular person. And if any one of all of those who perpetrated evil against Israel had not wanted to do it, Harishut Bayado, the freedom was in their hands not to do so, since the decree was not directed at any specific person. Okay, 
you now have the gist of it, the, 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 the essence of it. We'll now go take a look at Maimonides saying it himself. But just before we go, just <laughs> I said, uh, Nachmanides respects, reveres his, his, uh, his rabbi here, but he's also perfectly willing to say, <laughs> but what sense is there in his words? So, you know, as we head into this, Nachmanides already disagrees with this. So you're allowed to disagree with it too. And we're going to spend, once we read this, we'll spend the rest of our time debating these two positions, okay? Nachmanides' position is that they took it too far. You already have a feeling for Maimonides' position, but let's hear him say it. Um, what is implied by what David said in Psalms um, uh, 25? This is, this is the Mishnah Torah, Maimonides' legal code, and it's the section on repentance, God is good and upright, and therefore God instructs sinners in the path, guides the humble in the path of justice, and teaches the humble God's way. What does that mean? That means um, that God sends them prophets to inform them of the path of God and to encourage them to repent. Okay, so repentance is possible. In other words, there's, um, there is a, 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 a foretold outcome. The prophecy um, declares that certain um, certain patterns in history will be repeated, um, but you have the capacity to do tshuva, and how does that work? Um, furthermore, it implies that God granted them the power to learn and understand. This attribute is present in all people. When a person follows the ways of wisdom and righteousness, they come to, to desire them and pursue them. This may be inferred from the statement of our sages of blessed memory that one who comes to purify himself is assisted. If you try to do good, then you will have help from the heavens, presumably. But wait, and now, my, now Maimonides, who is not a Torah commentator, but 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 comments on the Torah, right? He he, he uses this in, as an example. But wait, isn't it written in the Torah, "Va'avdum uh, that they shall enslave them and oppress them? Hare gazar al hamitzrim lasotra. So God decreed that the Egyptians would commit evil. And lest you think that we're only talking about Egyptians here, then he's got a, he's, he, turns the, he turns the lens back on his own people. Similarly, it is written in Deuteronomy, and this nation will arise and stray after the alien gods of the land. That nation is us. So God decreed that Israel would serve idols. And now the big question, which we've already named, if so, why does God punish them? How can you be punished for something that God told you was going to happen? And here's the language we saw in brief earlier, because God did not decree that a particular person would be the one who strayed. Rather, each and every one of those who strayed to idol worship, if they did not want to, could have chosen not to serve idols. The creator was merely letting us know, and here's an, an important phrase, min shalalam, the way of the world, the way of the world, okay? So now I think you have the argument, the, the, the gist of the argument here, which is that, yes, there is a prophecy, there is a declaration, there is a decree that these things will happen, and some of the that decree suggests that bad things will happen to us. Some of the decrees suggest that we will do bad things, but that's the way of the world. But that's not, that's not, that, that doesn't mean that every single person has to follow the way of the world. 
So Maimonides' solution is there is a kind of predetermination in the large, what do you call it, uh, macro history, kind of like large scale trends, nation, the way nations behave, the way cultures behave, the way societies behave, but every single person has the option to opt out of it. And so when God says, I will punish that nation, what he's saying is I will punish the nation as a whole that will end up doing this. But it's not inevitable. You could opt out of that and then you would escape punishment, presumably. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, we have the debate and we have about 10 minutes to kind of um, try to flesh it out. But um, one of the ways to approach that is to um, to ask what, which of these positions makes more sense to you. Um, the, the Nachmanides position that the, that the Egyptians um, didn't have to take it as far as they did. And that part was not decreed or um, and, and really more philosophically important and interesting, Maimonides' position, that there is a difference between the way of the world and the choices that every single one of us makes, okay? And I guess I, I will start, we, you know, teased out a little bit what the what Nachmanides meant. So let's think now about what Maimonides mean. Do you, do you buy that? Do you buy that there, there is a, a general way of the world that, that, um, that is inescapable, but that every person has the capacity to choose otherwise. We have a choice. Every one of us has a choice how to respond in 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 any given moment. There are forces that are bigger than us. There are there there are calamities that that are inevitable. But person to person, and Maimonides is is you know clear enough. It could be us. It could be them. Everybody has the choice not to behave in the worst possible way. And Maimonides also has some um, some examples, some uh, examples that he lays out, um, you know, is poverty inevitable? Is war inevitable? I mean, a lot of these questions flow forth. We're out of time, so I won't go through them all, but I will just highlight one last thing, which is that I think both Nachmanides and Maimonides, they aren't just speculating, philosophically speculating, they are also reading the carefully the language of the Torah. And let's just do that one more time before we close, because the language of the Torah suggests the possibility of both of these interpretations. And if we go back to the actual oppression in, in Egypt, the same that, that language, they, they oppressed them, they afflicted them, they enslaved them. Then as the Ramban said, Nachmanides says, they went further, they embittered them, and they tried to kill their children, right? But look at this last line. But the midwives, fearing God, did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. They let the boys live, okay? And that's like the proof, there's proof text for Nachmanides. Like, look at, they went further and further and further and they were killing babies for God's sake. But the proof text for Maimonides is that these midwives, some people think they were Hebrews, but but likely in the context, they were Egyptians who refused the order, who refused because it was too much. It was too far. It was too gruesome. And they wouldn't do it. And they feared they had some higher principle. They feared God. 
And that is what Maimonides says. If you can attach yourself to some higher principle, to the, to the way of, of goodness and of justice, then you can escape the, the crushing inevitability of, of, of fate, of destiny. Okay, so may that be so for us and certainly for our enemies that they um, that they uh, that all of us are able to escape some of the worst patterns of of history and find a way towards some higher principle. Okay, I'll see y'all next week. And then thank Thanks. you, Thanks, Rabbi. See you tonight. See you tonight, thank some you of you. See you tonight. Thank all right. You. Thank you very much. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that that uh, we keep our classes, you can if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discuss there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week.